Hello, everyone. Welcome to our The Week That Was in Europe podcast. My name is Dirk Schumacher. I'm the head of European macro research at Natixis. With me is Klaus Adam, professor of economics at the University of Mannheim. Hello, everyone. So today we would like to talk about optimal government debt and optimal government debt dynamics from the viewpoint of the academic literature. Uh, while it is a popular topic to discuss the actual dynamics of government debt and whether or not these are sustainable over time, this podcast takes a very different perspective. We will not discuss whether debt has gone up or down in a particular country, instead take a normative perspective. And by this, we mean that we ask the question, how should government debt dynamics look like if the government seeks to maximize households' well-being. So we ask what should be done rather than what actually happens or will happen. And we do so by leveraging insights from the academic literature dealing with optimal government debt dynamics. Now, to structure our discussion, we start by assessing the effects of a given level of government debt and what this given level of government debt what effects it has on the economy. Once we have a clear understanding about that, we can discuss what these effects imply for how government debt should evolve over time. Again, taking the perspective that the goal is to maximize the well-being of households in the economy. Well-being is thereby captured by some kind of utility function that gets assigned to households. This utility function includes basic components such as consumption, hours worked, etc., and it can be quite general. Before starting our discussion about the optimal level of government debt, we should stress that we are not taking a stand on what the optimal share of government spending is. Rather, we take government expenditure and its fluctuations over time as given and talk only about how a given level of spending should optimally be financed. That is via debt or via taxes or a combination thereof. This is important to stress for the subsequent results. Yeah, so none of the things we're gonna say have to do with a particular view about how high government spending should be or how we should respond in certain situations to economic disturbances or other kinds of things that can happen in the economy. So broadly speaking, there are two effects that a given level of government debt has on the economy. One effect is positive and the other one negative. Let's start with a positive one. Government debt is typically an asset that the private sector can use to save. In this sense, Government debt provides liquidity services to the private sector. For instance, government debt is often used as collateral in financial transactions or as a store of value for households, firms, and the financial sector. This is clearly a positive role played by government debt, and somebody as myself working in the financial sector can attest to that. Good, but government debt has also a negative role, and that brings us to the second effect. Government debt carries interest, and the interest expense on government debt has to be financed. And to do so, governments need to levy taxes on households and, for, and firms. And these taxes often take the form of income taxes, say a tax on labor, a tax on capital income, or consumption taxes like a value-added tax. 
such taxes happen to have detrimental effects on the economy because they disincentivize labor supply, they disincentivize saving, they disincentivize consumption, and this is not positive for the economy. Economists such refer to these taxes as so-called distortionary taxes, simply because they distort the optimal decisions of households and firms. And since government debt carries interest, the government needs to levy these distortionary taxes. And as a result, labor supply, private savings and consumption are subdued. All this is not to say that there could be very good reasons why government needs to raise debt, and we talk about this later. But what we are discussing here is the effect of debt, whatever the reasons behind the existence of that debt. In what follows, we will mainly focus on this negative effect of government debt. The reason for this is that the liquidity role of government debt could also be fulfilled by other assets in the economy, for instance, central bank reserves, or central bank digital currencies. There are perhaps institutional reasons why government debt has a special liquidity status, but these could equally apply to central bank reserves provided regulations are changed. So there's really no good reason to have government debt purely from a liquidity perspective. Other assets could in principle easily fulfill this function, though adapting the financial markets to such a system was, would be very cumbersome or actually outright unrealistic, at least at this point. Yeah, this means that we are left here for the purpose of this discussion with the distortionary tax implications of government debt. Later on, we will introduce other effects of government debt, but for now, we simply focus on the fact that financing government debt is costly from a welfare perspective due to the fact that distortionary taxes have to be levied. And with this in mind, let's come to one important role that government debt plays in optimal debt dynamics, that is the evolution of debt over time. And that is the role that economists usually refer to as tax smoothing incentives. Okay. To understand what a tax smoothing motive means, uh, we have to consider an economy that is hit by a large public expenditure shock. Say the economy is hit by a pandemic shock or must engage in large defense expenditures to deter foreign aggression. Scenarios that certainly don't sound unrealistic at all these days. A government that is faced with such a large expenditure shock could deal with the situation in two ways. First, it could simply increase taxes so as to fully finance the expenditures associated with the expenditure shock. This would likely require a very drastic increase in taxes in the period of the expenditure shock, but no tax increases in the future. During a period with high taxes, the economic distortion associated with these taxes would of course be huge. But in subsequent periods, there would be no additional distortions. Yeah, that is one option to deal with a big expenditure shock. The second option is that government finances the entire expenditure with government debt and only increases taxes to the extent that it is necessary to serve the additional interest expenditure associated with this higher debt level. Clearly, this requires increasing taxes by much less, but in turn requires a permanent increase in taxes over the entire future. Now, a famous result on optimal taxation 
which is due to Robert Barrow from Harvard University, is that this second option, where taxes are increased only by a little bit, but persistently so, is socially desirable. It's the better course of action. It's the action that maximizes household utility. In fact, this is the case whenever the distortionary effects of taxes increase disproportionately with the level of taxes. That is when an increase in a tax is more distortionary, the higher taxes are already. In such a setting, it is optimal to smooth taxes, that is to have a small but very persistent increase in taxes that finances only the additional interest rate expenditure rather than a short-lived, very drastic tax increase that finances the current expenditure shock entirely today. Robert Barrow published this famous paper in 1979 in the Journal of Political Economy, and we reference it in the description text of our podcast. So now that we have hopefully understood this point, let's consider a situation where a government is repeatedly hit by expenditure surprises, and we see what follows from that for the debt dynamics based on the policy description or prescription that we just mentioned. The nature of these surprises is such that they cannot be one-sided only. That is, there cannot always be positive expenditure surprises all the time. Expenditures need to be sometimes above the expected value and sometimes below. Otherwise, something is wrong with the way expectations are formed. If you always get surprised on one side, well, then you should look at how you form these expectations. A rational government is thus faced with periods with surprisingly high and periods with surprisingly low expenditures. In response to this, it is optimal to increase or decrease government debt according and to adjust taxes by a little bit to account for the change in interest payments that have to be paid due to changes in the government debt. This implies that under optimal policy, government debt and taxes behave like a random walk. Sometimes they go up and sometimes they go down, but there's no systematic drift. Yeah, Robert Barrow's result that government debt is a random walk under optimal government policy when policy seeks to minimize the distortionary effects of taxes was a celebrated finding in the literature, but it turned out to be only approximately true. One simple reason why it can only be approximately true is quite obvious. Namely, there exists simply a maximum amount of revenue that the government can raise from its citizens through distortionary taxes. And therefore, debt service costs cannot exceed this maximum. And this in turn defines a maximum for the government debt that can be issued. Government debt can thus not exceed a certain upper bound because it cannot be financed beyond that upper bound. And for this reason, government debt cannot move up and down with equal likelihood as in a random walk, because if the government is already close to its debt capacity limit, further expenditure shocks could push debt beyond the debt capacity limit and through that push the government into a situation of default. And if default is costly, debt levels will optimally try to stay away from the default settings from the default levels and therefore not display random walk-like behavior. And this is true even though, uh, as I've shown in a 2017 paper with Michael Krill published in the American Economic Journal Macroeconomics, 
that despite the fact that government debt could be part, a government default could be part of optimal government debt policy. Yeah, but this rather extreme situation with a government default is not the only reason why optimal government debt dynamics should not follow a random walk. To see why, we need to introduce another feature of government debt, namely the fact that the interest rates on government debt vary over time. Sometimes real interest rates are high and sometimes very low. This feature is sometimes forgotten, often forgotten, but the real interest rates on long-term government debt in the euro area have been moving strongly following the COVID pandemic and the inflationary shock triggered by that. So expected real interest rates on 10-year German bonds, for instance, have increased by more than two percentage points over the last two years. And for Germany, with a debt-to-GDP ratio of a bit above 60%, this means increased interest expenditure each year by around 1.2% of GDP once all debt has been refinanced. That's about 45 billion euros of additional interest payments every year. And of course, not all real interest rate movements are predictable. Therefore, movements of the real interest rate on government debt are a source of risk to the government. In particular, surprises in real interest rates on government debt give rise to refinancing risk. Any debt that comes due uh, at a certain period needs to be refinanced at the prevailing interest rate. And this interest rate is itself uncertain. This is especially a concern for a government that has a high level of public debt because such a government will have to refinance everything else equal, a larger share of debt in every period. It thus faces also larger exposure to the interest rate risk. So more debt means more refinancing risk. And this in turn implies that it becomes suddenly beneficial to reduce debt over time in order to reduce this refinancing risk. We are thus away from Barrow's random walk being optimal. Instead, it is optimal to bring debt down with a slightly negative drift in there. How far down? Well, that's a matter of uh, the details of the environment, but it could be either zero debt level ultimately being reached because of this negative drift, or it could be even a negative one. And the first people to show this were Ayagari, Sargent, Marset, and Seppala in a 2002 paper also published in the Journal of Political Economy. And for full disclosure, uh, Albert Massette is my co-author and actually Tom Sargent was uh, on my dissertation committee. That's a nice uh, committee to have. Uh, now let's try to understand uh, why the concern to minimize the effects of distortionary taxes caused government debt to optimally converge to a zero or even a negative debt level. Zero debt is relatively easy to understand. It's simply the debt level where refinancing risk is minimized and there's also the variability of distortionary taxes. That's right. Without debt to be refinancing, there is no refinancing risk due to the interest rate risk. And as a result, there is also going to be no tax risk and therefore no risk in distortions. Negative government debt is optimal in the long run whenever the government has other expenditures that need to be financed, say expenditures on public good provision or running something like the judiciary or financing an army. In such a setting, even if government debt were zero and thus refinancing risk minimized, distortionary taxes would have to be raised in order to finance these activities. 
by driving government debt into negative territory so that the private sector is suddenly indebted with the government, the government will earn interest income from the private sector instead of having to pay interest. Admittedly, something that is hard to imagine given the situation we are currently in. The government, if it were in such a situation with negative government debt, would use this interest income to pay for the public goods and thus would not have to raise any taxes, any distortionary taxes. And that's strictly better than the outcome in a situation with zero debt. So ignoring other considerations, such as the liquidity services provided by public debt that we talked about in the very beginning, uh, the intimate connection between government debt and distortionate taxes provides a rationale for bringing debt to zero, even into negative levels. Are there any qualifications to this statement uh, and how does the optimal speed of debt reduction depend on the level of government debt clause? Well, of course, there are qualifications. So the results we just described where government debt optimally has a drift downwards, uh, it may respond to positive expenditure shocks upwards and to negative expenditure uh, surprises downwards. But where on average there's a downward draft depends on the environment uh, that we look at. And it applies to environments where there is so-called non-contingent debt. That is where the debt payment promises of the government are fixed and do not depend on the state of the economy. I mean, this is the case for virtually all government debt issued in practice, at least in nominal terms. And with central banks being tasked to stabilize inflation, this is approximately also true for real repayment promises made by the government. Of course, the recent post-COVID inflation surge is uh, somewhat of an exception here. If, to the contrary, the government were to issue debts that can depend on the state of the economy, where the repayment depends on the state of the economy, that is called contingent debt, then it can perfectly hedge the refinancing risk. There would then be no need to go to zero debt levels to minimize refinancing risk. And uh, this is uh, perhaps not a very realistic situation as no one has been able to foresee all the contingencies that can occur and to perfectly hedge the government budget against such risks. Then there's also the argument that debt could be made fully contingent by simply issuing non-contingent debt, but different maturities of that debt, that is long and short bonds. Again, there would need that would then allow the government to hedge. And again, there would be no need to go down to zero debt levels or perhaps even negative levels. Um, but uh, these sort of results are somewhat academic in nature because they require being able to perfectly predict how the market value of government debt reacts to all sorts of different shocks and events. And uh, this uh, for practical purposes seems somewhat implausible. So I think we covered the empirically relevant case. Okay, so it seems we have um, indeed covered this uh, case with a non-contingent debt, and then it's optimal to go to zero negative levels in the long run. That's, of course, a far cry from what politicians are trying to achieve. Uh, now, suppose we're in a situation with positive debt and face refinancing risks due to fluctuating interest rates. How does the optimal speed of debt reduction depend on the debt level? Is it optimal to reduce debt faster if you have a higher debt level or debt? Well, it turns out that it's generally not true that higher debt levels imply a faster optimal speed of debt reduction. 
um, it is true that if debt is higher, tax volatility is higher because of a higher refinancing risk, and thus reducing debt generates larger benefits because it reduces tax volatility by more if you are at a higher debt level. Yet it is also true that if debt is higher, the level of taxes is higher, and then increasing taxes to reduce debt is more costly than it is in a situation where debt and taxes are lower. So it depends on how these two forces play out against each other, the benefits of uh, reducing the risk and the costs of uh, reducing the risks in the form of higher taxes. In fact, uh, I have a 2011 European Economic Review paper that shows that the optimal speed of debt reduction is non-monotone in the level of debt. Nevertheless, the optimal drift in the debt to GDP ratio is always negative whenever government debt is positive. Okay, um, there was a lot of ground we covered and I'm, I'm certainly not uh, trying to go through all that again in my usual summary, but let me highlight a few points. So public debt via taxes that need to refinance the interest payments has distortionary effects. That, that's one important uh, factor to keep in mind. But when faced with a big expenditure shock like a pandemic, it is still better to finance these expenditures via debt than just a three a big temporary tax hike. So the tax smoothing um, would argue for while well, raising debt then. Refinancing risks are also an important factor to consider and the existence of these would argue for a downward trajectory for government debt, even negative debt under some assumptions. But, and that was the final point, uh, but high debt levels do not necessarily argue for bringing debt down faster. Depends a bit on the circumstances. Well, I guess, was that a <laughs> sufficient summary, at least for, for this podcast? In any case, um, good to talk to you, Klaus. And uh, yeah, let's talk again next week.